All right, good evening, comrades, and welcome to the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. Tonight is September 12th, 2023. I want to thank you all for being here. Our class tonight is going to be on the 50th anniversary of the Chilean coup of 1973. Comrades might know it as the other 9-11 uh, because it happened on September 11th, but it's overshadowed by the tragic event that happened in our country, which we also want to pay respects to. Um, but before we get started, Comrade, would you like to go ahead and say a few things before we start the presentation? Yes, uh, good evening, comrades. So yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the events of September 11th, 73. And I just want to say something personal. Uh, at the time, I was in France, and uh, I had joined the Communist Party of France um, a year prior, in September 72. I was then... 16 at the time of September 11, 73. And um, we took it personal, very, very personal. And from there on, every night we would go in the streets and put posters, spray, you know, uh, paint, uh, go to every single protest there was, including one very, uh, I remember very well, it was at the Chilean embassy in Paris, and uh, it was very violent. Uh, the police, you know, charged us and stuff, you know. Uh, so, like I said, we took it personally. I'm sure Angelo would feel the same when he remembers 50 years ago what happened. So that's all for now, comrade. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. All right, and as we said, our class tonight is going to be on the Chilean coup of September 11th, 1973. So what are we going to learn today? Uh, yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the CIA-sponsored overthrow of Salvador Allende's Popular Front, which uh, was called the Unidad Popular in Spanish, Popular Unity, by the Chilean military. September 11, 73 marked the end of the progressive anti-imperialist regime in Chile and the end of Salvador Allende's life. Thus began a dark era, the ushering of a 17-year brutal fascist military dictatorship during which thousands of Chileans, workers, peasants, and intellectuals were tortured, murdered, and disappeared. Let us recall the life of Salvador Allende, one of Latin America's greatest revolutionaries. Salvador Allende was born in 1908 in Santiago, the capital of Chile. He was of Basque descent on his father's side and of Belgian descent on his mother's side. He went to medical school and became a doctor. His field was social medicine. He was a leader of the Union of Doctors. At age 25, Allende co-founded the Socialist Party of Chile and became its president. In 1937, a popular front was formed in Chile that included the Socialist Party, the Communist Party, and other progressives. In 1938, the popular front won the elections and Allende became Minister of Health at the age of 30. That's when Progressive laws were enacted in Chile for the first time in history. Safety laws for workers, maternal care, 
free school lunches, pensions for widows. Allende denounced the persecution of Jews by Hitler as early as 1938. After the war, Allende served as a senator and became president of the Senate in 1966. During the 50s, he introduced laws that created the Chilean National Health Service, the very first universal healthcare system in the whole American continent, North and South. Allende ran for president of Chile three times in a row, unsuccessfully. In 1952, 1958, 1964. In Chile, presidential elections were taking place every six years. And viewed him as a major threat and a bad example for South America. During the 1964 elections, the CIA spent $6 million to defeat Allende and assure the victory of his opponent, Eduardo Frey. But the fourth time was a charm for Salvador Allende. In 1970, a popular front was once again formed in Chile. It was called Unidad Popular, Popular Unity, including communists, socialists, and progressives. Allende was its leader and candidate for the 70 elections. And he received the highest score of 36.2%. It was higher than two other rightist candidates. It wasn't the majority of the vote, so the Senate had to elect the president according to the Constitution. Allende won the presidency of Chile. To be noted that during that time, a split was already evident inside the military. A wing represented by Commander-in-Chief René Schneider stood for the respect of the Constitution at all costs, even if a leftist president was elected. General Schneider was assassinated by the fascist wing of the military under the CIA's control. A new commander-in-chief was named. It was Carlos Prats, who stayed loyal to Allende until the end. Carlos Prats was himself assassinated by Pinochet's secret service in Buenos Aires in 1974. That's the capital of Argentina, comrades. A year after the September 11th coup. It's crystal clear that the CIA had Allende in its sights already in the 50s and 60s, long before his election as the president. But after the 70 elections, Allende turned into Nixon's and Kissinger's number one enemy, like Che and Fidel had been before him. The CIA was told to put an end to the Chilean experiment by any means necessary and ASAP. As soon as he was elected, Allende began to implement a progressive program. He nationalized key industries, such as copper mining and banking. He expanded public universal healthcare and free education. He implemented seizure of big land estates and redistributed them 
to landless peasants. Social security was expanded. Public housing programs were launched. Mapuche peoples were integrated into public education. In 1971, Allende committed the ultimate mortal sin in the eyes of Henry Kissinger, Nixon's national security advisor. He re-established diplomatic relations with socialist Cuba. Shortly after, in November 71, Fidel made a triumphant visit to Chile, where he stayed nearly one month. It was Fidel's very first visit to a South American country since the revolution of 1959. Fidel toured Chile from north to south, a distance of 4,300 kilometers, north of the Tropic of Capricorn, all the way to the southern tip of South America, near Antarctica. Fidel met extensively with Allende, Luis Corvalan, leader of the Communist Party, and Carlos Altamirano, leader of the Socialist Party. Fidel's trip culminated on December 2nd, 71, with a giant meeting in Santiago, in Santiago's football stadium, where he pronounced an historical farewell speech. Prior to leaving, Fidel gifted Allende an AK-47 with an engraved golden plate that said, to my friend and comrade in arms, Fidel Castro. Sadly, this is a rifle that Allende used to end his life on the early afternoon of September 11th, 1973, rather than to be taken alive by the fascist beasts. Also, in January 72, a Soviet delegation visited Chile to discuss bilateral relations with Unidad Popular government. Obviously, that wasn't lost on Kissinger. U.S. imperialism got frantically busy about Chile. Nixon's doctrine was, if in the wake of Vietnam, I can no longer send in the Marines, then I will send in the CIA. <laughs> All right, we'll briefly we'll watch a video of Comrade Fidel Castro uh, with Salvador Allende at the Laminado Palace in 71.
Yeah, first I want to make a little remark about this uh, this little video that you just saw. Uh, did you notice the line of soldiers uh, that were guarding La Moneda, you know, and in front standing by uh, Allende and Fidel, right? It would be less than two years and these very soldiers would assault La Moneda and end up uh, instauring uh, fascism in, in uh, Chile. Sending the CIA, he did. It actively destabilized Allende's government from the get-go, beginning in 1970. Chile is the longest country on Earth, north to south, and also the narrowest, a mere 217 miles at its widest point. For this reason, trucking was Chile's economic lifeline in the 70s. The CIA is very smart and very dialectical. So they figured that having independent small truckers go on strike would create the ultimate conditions to ruin the economy and to turn the general population against Allende's Unidad Popular government. So the CIA lavishly funded the truckers' strikes and the shutdown of small businessmen. In October 72, the truckers' union calls for national strike. In January 73, transportation workers go on strike in the capital of Santiago, followed by railroad workers. Self-defense organizations of merchants are created against government programs. Copper workers join the strikes, including an unlimited strike that would last 74 days. The largest paper manufacturing plant is nationalized, which infuriates the opposition. In May 73, state of emergencies were declared in a province of Santiago, the capital, and in the copper producing central province of Chile. Tensions are mounting all over Chile, and Allende declares, using the law first, I will use revolutionary violence later if necessary. Comrades, in retrospect, 50 years later, it's fair to say revolutionary violence should have been used first. The military is preparing for battle. A dress rehearsal of September 11th takes place in June 73, when a regiment of the Chilean army attempts to overthrow the government. The rebellion is put down by loyalist commander-in-chief Carlos Prats, but it's an ominous sign. In July, an indefinite strike of the Confederation of Truck Owners of Chile begins. CIA's money is put into good use. On August 21st, Allende made a blunt mistake. He appointed Gustavo Ley as the head of the Air Force. Just 20 days later, Ley would become the most radical member of the four-man fascist junta, who hours after the coup vote that the military would, quote, eradicate the Marxist cancer from our fatherland until the last consequences, end quote. A day later, Carlos Prat resigned due to his belief that he had lost the confidence of military officers. That is when Allende made another fatal mistake and appointed Augusto Pinochet 
as commander-in-chief of the army. It must be said that Pinochet had openly posed as a loyalist of the Unidad Popular and carefully kept hidden his future fascist agenda. Another general strike of unions is declared and joined by the single confederation of professionals of Chile. On September 9, 73, the high command of the armed forces, that is the Army, Navy, Air Force, plus the Carabineros of de Chile, which is the military police, set the date of the coup d'etat for September 11th. So now Salvador Allende has only 48 hours left to live. All right. And with that, we'll stop for our first round of questions and comments. Yeah. So uh, seeing, uh, you know, how uh, successful the CIA was in this, uh, you know, this uh, strike with uh, truckers, uh, rail workers and uh, copper workers, did this um, uh, act as a blueprint for what happened in Poland seven years after? 100 percent, comrade. Thank you. Thank you, comrades. I just find it odd that while, at least I know for Canada, we were nationalizing our insurance corporations, and I'm sure America was doing some other program of nationalizing. But as soon as Chile nationalizes their mines or whatever the copper mine, I forget the exact detail, then it's too much. Then it's time for invasion. I just find it ironically funny. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to uh, add with the uh, strikes. Uh, these strikes didn't happen on their own. In fact, the trucker strike started out as a lockout by the by the truck owners, truck company owners, and these these unions weren't the actual real labor movement in in the country of Chile. The AFL CIO, in conjunction with the CIA, through a place called uh, Foreign uh, Policy Institute at the time called the American Institute for Free Labor Development, was highly involved in cultivating these unions, and that's something they do in countries throughout the world. And to answer Tyler's question, yes, it was a precursor to what happened in Poland. They cultivate what we call yellow unions or company unions to go against the real, you know, in most of these countries, the labor movement is actually a very class-oriented labor movement. And they undercut these unions and they fight, bring the workers back under control of the bosses in order to increase uh, profits for U.S. corporations. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. Uh, yeah, I just got a question. Was the Chile government a socialist one at the at this time well it was progressive let's put it this way they did the best they could although they could have done more radical stuff you know such as yeah creating a popular militia popular armed forces like uh, hugo chavez did you know in in the early 90s i think so all right thank you comrades hey thank you this is so far, I've been a really good class. I've tried to do research on this exact topic, and I haven't found any uh, extensive information to this level. Like, this has been a very dialectical look at things. So thanks for um, for everyone that prepared it. Um, I'm enjoying it. Question, I guess, Comrade uh, Salvador Allende joined the Socialist Party and not the Communist Party, while they did create a popular front. I guess I'm curious what the reason why that was. Was it more for strategic reasons or was he ideologically more of a socialist or what was there? Was the Communist Party in Chile not really that strong? 
I'm not 100% sure, you know, about uh, the strength of the Communist Party of Chile back in the 1930, early 30s, you know. But we have to keep in mind that, you know, socialist parties in the 30s and stuff, even in the 70s, uh, they were very much to the left compared to, to what it is now. I mean, you know, it's obvious. I mean, in every country, you could see socialist parties uh, uniting with communist parties, and it was pretty radical, you know. Unlike today, socialist parties run governments and they are NATO and European Union and CIA and so on and so forth, you know? Yeah. Real quick, on the popular front, I guess you were saying earlier, maybe they should have went more militantly revolutionary. Um, Well, what was the fervor, I guess, in the Socialist Party and in the Communist Party? Were there people pushing for that? Why didn't it happen? Is really, I guess that's a big question to ask. Yeah, it's, it's a big question. I mean, there were people pushing for it, you know. And uh, for example, the daughter of, of Allende, Beatriz Allende, she was uh, very radical and she was pushing for a little more hardcore as far as um, military and arming the peasants and workers, you know, she did. Um, but Allende's big default was that he looked at the constitution like a religious icon, you know, don't touch it. Well, look, the fascist didn't think that way. They did touch it and look what happened. You know, so sometimes you got to break some eggs to make the omelette, you know. All right. Thank you, comrade. It looks like comrade, uh, general secretary from New York wants to comment on that. Yeah, the popular unity government, the Communist Party. Remember, Louis Cavallon was the general secretary. He was pro-Stalin at a time. Remember, when a lot of general secretaries were pro-Khrushchev. Stalin had long died. And Kavalan was called the Stalinist. So he was very uh, strict. The party was very, very uh, disciplined, and it was a Bolshevik party. The Socialist Party in Chile had two wings, a left wing and a right wing. The left wing was the one that took control of the Socialist Party, and that's why they had the alliance. And um, the West, specifically the United States, saw this as another addition to Cuba, and that's why they did what they did. That's all. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. Uh, why did the uh, copper workers uh, go on strike? Just like I said, you know, the unions, they were uh, corrupted. But you okay. know what? There, there was there was workers that were totally supportive of the government. And there was a lot of um, uh, clashes in between, you know, the workers that that uh, became lapdogs, you know, of the CIA and of the bosses and the ones they were, the ones who still had the class conscience. There was lots of clashes, you know. It was difficult times. Oh, yeah, and I uh, read this uh, interesting book about the uh, Lindy's government, uh, Lindy's Chile, an insider view by Edward Borstein. That's very good. Yes, right. Edward Borstein is very good. He was a member of the CPUSA, by the way. All right. Thank you, comrades. You know, there's a saying that men think about the Roman Empire way too often. Well, that's not quite true for me. I think about Chile way too often for anyone's normal sake. But I, the one thing I always learn is Allende wasn't even that radical. The things that he was pushing would be the things that Bernie Sanders would be saying, right? Which goes on to just and for what he was doing, the CIA cooed him and overthrew his government and installed a military dictatorship. So what does that tell you? It tells me that social democracy and social democrats, their ideas do not work. 
because we see a real live physical example of what happens when they do win an election on a popular front and try to essentially expand freedom and rights and transition towards socialism democratically. They get killed by the CIA. And so, you know, it really just proves again that you cannot and you should not negotiate with the capitalists because the moment that they have a chance, they will kill you. And they will, you know, and they won't feel bad about it at all. And then they'll lie about it <laughs> afterwards and they'll, they'll distort the history. So hopefully this is something, this is an example that we can all look to, to at least we can learn something from what happened to Chile for moving forward and strategically, you know, in terms of strategy and what we should do politically. The, the democratic seconds. process is something that we should exploit, but it is not the end all be all of how we achieve communism. Thank you. And I want to add that uh, the lesson was learned by Hugo Chavez and Rafael Ortega uh, years later. All right. Thank you, comrades. Thank you. Uh, to answer the question on the copper strikes, uh, what happened was uh, the copper workers, like old class craft workers, they had wages far superior than most other workers in Chile. And they actually had a cost of living adjustment that was given to them in early 1973. And then the Chilean government gave a hundred percent increase in wages to uh, the rest of the workforce to bring them up to the wages of the these uh, so-called skill trades and whatnot. So they went on strike because they wanted not only their cost of living, but that increase the other workers got because they wanted to maintain their superiority over the other workers in the country. Thank you. Okay, I just wanted to say um, I said it in another class, but it's extremely relevant to this one as well. I would recommend uh, comrades watch the documentary called The War on Democracy, as it touches specifically on coups and, you know, CIA kind of stuff in Latin America from the 50s to the 70s, uh, even to the 90s, even. It ends with Hugo Chavez. But in this documentary, they talk with the CIA officers who were directly responsible for getting in touch with Pinochet and everything and just listen to it and listen to their justifications of why they participated in these types of actions against a sovereign nation. You know, it's it's baffling to see how people come to these conclusions. That's all. Thank you, comrade. Uh, I'm not sure I understand uh, Pratt's reasoning for resigning. Like he didn't have the confidence of the army. You wouldn't he like that if uh, the, he'd be needed more to like make sure that uh, the people opposed to the government didn't try anything. Yeah, that's right. You know what happened is this. There was a little incident of some kind with a lady, a woman that went to his car and uh, flipped him or something like this. And he got pissed and he pulled his pistol and some stuff like that, you know. And later on, there was 300 wives of military officers went to his house and uh, protested. And then he kind of he got bird hurt about all this, you know, and he just... Uh, he resigned, uh, you know, he shouldn't have because <laughs> a year later, Pinochet got him too, you know. All right. Thank you, comrade. I hope that answered your question, comrade. I know earlier it was said that Allende killed himself with the rifle that Fidel gave him. Um, I know that a lot of sources claim that, and it was the official narrative on his death for a while, but... There are also a lot of people both inside and outside of Chile who, based on the evidence and the state of his body when it was found, believed that he 
was indeed killed during the raid and that he did not take his own life. It's very true, comrade. It's it's a little um, iffy, you know, but uh, in 2011, the government of Chile, which was not Pinochet then, you know, uh, did uh, an investigation and there was even a Bachelet, you know, the Bachelet was a president at one time and she, uh, her father was re- imprisoned by Pinochet and all that. So she, you know, she was for sure Allende supporter, but they concluded it was suicide. But you know what? It don't matter because if um, if the fascist is going to get you, you know, the ideal is to kill as many as you can before you go, right? But uh, suicide is okay too. Shit, you don't want to be taken alive by these people, you know? All right. Thank you, comrade. Yeah, just a thing to point out. Um, even though Allende and his forces were taken by surprise and off guard by the coup and, and unfortunately the quick taking the power of the rightists, um, the communists, we weren't as we weren't as um, surprised. We actually had militias at the, formed at that point. There was armed conflict within the countryside, I believe, um, between the landlords and a lot of the left wing militias. Um, and when the, and when the Pinochet government came to power, there was a guerrilla war throughout like the entire regime. Um, if you look at the Movimento Esquerda Revolucionaria, MIR, which was the main insurgency, and then the FMPR, the Frente Frente Patriotico Manuel Rodriguez, um, those were like the two Marxist-Leninist insurgencies during the Pinochet regime. Um, but I mean, ultimately, comrades, Allende wasn't a Marxist-Leninist, and he didn't he wasn't willing to use state power to um, suppress the counter-revolutionaries and to secure you know what was needed, which was a dictatorship of the proletariat, and he paid for that. And it's important. Um, you know, it's important when we realize we're in these coalitions, um, if there's a popular front or a coalition and the democratic socialists are in charge of it, you know, this is a danger of what could happen. Exactly, comrade. You know, um, Allende broke the rule number one. He's not a communist. He wasn't. So but still, rule number one is you don't use the bourgeois state structure and expect it to work on your own revolution. What you do is you build your own state. And uh, when I say state, it's not the post office or stuff like that. It is two things, police, military, done. You build your own police, your own military, just like uh, Hugo Chavez did, like um, Ortega did and many did, you know, and then you get no problems. But Allende didn't. A lot of them told, told him to, including the mayor, as you said. And the mayor played a big role, you know, and even though they were semi Trotskyist, uh, whatever, ultra-left, but they did really good after the coup, and they did a guerrilla fighting, as you said, and also in that front, uh, Miguel uh, Rodriguez, I forgot, but that front, they did uh, an assassination of Pinochet, which failed, but almost succeeded in 1985. So we got to give them credit, you know. Thank you, comrade. And I also just wanted to add on to that real quick and say something I said on Tuesday which was there's this uh, phrase that said a lot. I don't remember where exactly it comes from, but it's something along the lines of uh, every fascist state is a failed socialist experiment or it's a failure of socialists. And I think that that can kind of be seen uh, as an example in Chile, where you have uh, these socialists or democratic socialists or you know whatever adjacent ideology they may be that failed to use 
uh, their power against these fascists that failed to take the extra step uh, when it was obvious that they needed to do so. And because of that, uh, fascism took hold in Chile for 17 years or so. And, you know, that can be, uh, you know, compared with the opposite, you know, even before fascism was a thing on the world stage uh, with the Bolshevik revolution, there was the Kornilov affair, which was the uh, moment that kind of showed them that they weren't going to be able to do it, you know, peacefully through the Duma, uh, like it had been kind of thought of before they realized that they would have to have a, a more violent revolution, they would have to do the, you know, insurrection to take power. So I just think it's interesting that Chile is one of those examples of when the socialists actually failed uh, to stop fascism. And I think that's one of the important takeaways of it. Did the CIA convince Ley, Pinochet, and others to change their view on Allende? Or were they always fascists? And if so, how were they able to hide themselves? Thank you. Definitely, they were always rightist and semi-fascist 100%. And uh, yeah, they had a game plan. You know, they're smart. CIA told them to. CIA is smart. You know, they know how to do it. They're dialectical, like I said earlier. We should learn from how they do things because uh, they they get the job done. You know, we we should turn it against them. All right. Thank you, comrade. And comrade, and then we'll go back to the presentation. What are our party's analysis and opinions on Project Cybersyn? Uh, I'm not sure I understood uh, Project what? Cyber, Cybersyn, how they tried to like automate the economy with computers. Cybersyn. I'm not sure, comrade. Yeah, so um, they were experimenting with um, computers very early on during uh, the Allende government. Um, what's interesting about Cybersyn, though, in particular, is that... Um, it actually, um, it wasn't the Allende government's own initiative alone. Um, they were actually getting a lot of help from a couple, I believe, uh, British mathematicians and like scientists. And if you actually look into the background of some of these like British mathematicians and scientists, a lot of them, um, I believe one in particular, the major one worked for like a British steel corporation. Um, what's kind of weird about um, Cybersyn is that yes, um, it did benefit the economy. It was good automation. You know, we're Mar we're Marxist Leninists. We're not Luddites. We you know we embrace you know automation under a centrally planned economy as a force for good. Um, but what's interesting is that a lot of the um, it very much was kind of like an experiment that this um, British scientist like kind of did in terms of the project on Chile itself, and the capitalists um, would later use the technology of Cybersyn, not for socialist means and socialist planning, but they would actually use like the computer, the computers and like the organized production, specific labor hours, specific inputs into the economy. They would later use that within uh, their uh, their corporations to more efficiently exploit workers and to more efficiently um, basically enact kind of a more managerial capitalism. Um, so it's very interesting. Um, I, I definitely would need to read more about it myself. But again, um, it, it, it shows the potential. Um, another good example of automation under socialism would be the OGAS, which is what they tried to implement within the Soviet Union. Um, but due to the kind of bureaucratic stagnation that occurred since all the younger communists that were Stalin's younger communists during the 30s, they joined the Red Army during World War II and the majority of them died during World War II. So this, where did Khrushchev come from, comrades? He came from the first secretariat. 
He came from local level bureaucrats who weren't good Marxist Leninists and also rejected, you know, things like uh, the Ogas and more like computerized central planning. So again, it's complicated, but um, socialists have always been in favor of like automation and stuff like that as it benefits the economy. Um, But under under capitalism, automation is a nightmare. All right. Thank you for that, comrade. So this is the section on the coup itself, September 11th, 1973. September 11th, 1973, 7 a.m., Valparaiso, Chile, the the coup begins. The Chilean Navy captures the port city on the central coast of Chile, stations marine forces there, and closes radio and television networks. The news of this is conveyed to Elende in Santiago, and the group of personal friends, GAP, the armed guard of the Socialist Party of Chile, serving as Elende's bodyguard, moved with him to the presidential palace. 8 a.m. Santiago, Chile. The Chilean Army and Chilean Air Force have destroyed the radio and television stations in Santiago. Allende is unaware that the entire Chilean armed forces are implementing the coup, and at this point, it's under the assumption that only the Chilean Navy has turned on him. He and the Minister of Defense, Orlando Letelier, tried to reach military leaders. Augusto Pinochet and Gustavo Ley do not pick up. Navy Admiral Montero is unreachable as his telephone service and car are, are sabotaged by the coup plotters beforehand. The director of the Chilean police and the head of the investigation police enter Elende and rush to the palace. Letelier then went to the Ministry of Defense and was arrested by Admiral Patricio Car- Carabajal and became the first prisoner of the coup. And just really quickly, I wanted to add a note that was up here on the corner. Uh, the date is no coincidence on this. Uh, Chile actually had a junta uh, coup in 1924 that occurred on September 11th. So the uh, fascists that did this coup basically chose that date for its significance. Um, so there's even more significance to that date of 9-11. So uh, we'll go to the next slide. 9 a.m., Chilean military forces controlled the entire nation of Chile, save for the pocket of Dylan Day's resistance centered around the presidential palace. The police abandoned Allende at the presidential palace at this time as well. General Ley ordered the bombing of the palace by the Chilean Air Force, but it was told it would take 40 minutes to arrive. Meanwhile, General Pinochet ordered his army to advance on the palace. The presidential palace was defended by gap snipers, which slowed the advance of the Chilean armed forces. General Arellano ordered support from helicopter gunships from the Chilean Army's Puma squadron. Then the air support ordered by Ley arrived and bombed the palace. 11 a.m. at the presidential palace itself is under assault. Elende, having refused to flee and launch a counter coup, gives a farewell address to the nation, refusing to resign and giving to the fascists. Following, following his speech, the Gap continued to defend the palace until 2.30 p.m. It is believed that Elende died, let's believe, by suicide with the AK-47 gifted by Fidel Castro at 2 p.m. The coup is successful in the Pinochet-era fascism in Chile begins. All right, and we will watch uh, the speech that Allende gave. This is his last words. This is an actual recording of it. Uh, and then we'll have one more slide and then questions. Aérea bombardeado 
Radio Portales y Radio Corporaciones. Mis palabras no tienen amargura sino decepción y serán ellas el castigo moral para los que han traicionado el juramento de izquierda. Soldados de Chile, comandantes en jefes titulares, y el almirante Medino que se ha autodesignado. Más el señor Mendoza, general rastrero, que solo ayer manifestara su fidelidad y lealtad al gobierno, también se ha denominado director general del carabinero. Ante estos hechos, solo me cabe decirle a los trabajadores, yo no voy a renunciar. Colocado en un tránsito histórico, pagaré con mi vida la lealtad del pueblo. Y les digo que tengo la certeza que la semilla que entregáramos a la conciencia digna de miles y miles de chilenos, no podrá ser cegada definitivamente. Tienen la fuerza, podrán avasallarlo, pero no se detienen los procesos sociales ni con el crimen ni con la fuerza. La historia es nuestra y la hacen los pueblos trabajadores de mi patria quiero agradecerles la lealtad que siempre tuvieron la confianza que depositaron en un hombre que solo fue intérprete de grandes anhelos de justicia que empeñó su palabra y que respetaría la constitución y la ley y así lo hizo en este momento Definitivo, el último en que yo pueda dirigirme a ustedes, pero que aprovechen la elección. El capital foráneo, el imperialismo, unido a la reacción, creó el clima para que las Fuerzas Armadas rompieran su tradición, la que le, la que le enseñara a Schneider y que reafirmara comandante Araya, víctima del mismo sector social que hoy estará en sus casas esperando con mano ajena reconquistar el poder para seguir defendiendo sus granjerías y sus privilegios. Me dirijo sobre todo a la modesta mujer de nuestra tierra, a la campesina que creyó en nosotros a la obrera que trabajó más, a la madre que supo nuestra preocupación por las niñas. Me dirijo a los profesionales de la patria, a los profesionales patriotas, a los que hace días estuvieron trabajando contra la sedición auspiciada por los colegios profesionales, colegios de clase para defender también las ventajas que la sociedad capitalista le dio a todos. Me dijo la juventud, aquellos que cantaron, entregaron su alegría y su espíritu de lucha. 
Me dijo al hombre de Chile, al obrero, al campesino, al intelectual, aquellos que serán perseguidos porque en nuestro país el fascismo ya estuvo hace muchas horas presente, en los atentados terroristas, volando los puentes, cortando la línea férrea, destruyendo los oleoductos y los gasoductos, frente al silencio de que tenían la obligación de la historia lo juzgará. Seguramente Radio Magallanes será callada y el mitad tranquilo de mi voz no llegará a ustedes, no importa. Lo seguirán oyendo. Siempre estaré junto a ustedes. Por lo menos mi recuerdo que le un hombre digno que fue leal a la ley. El pueblo debe defender pero no sacrificar. El pueblo no debe dejarse arrasar ni equilibrar, pero tampoco puede mirar. Trabajadores de mi patria, tengo fe en Chile y su destino. Superará otros hombres este momento gris y amargo donde la traición pretende imponer. Sigan ustedes sabiendo que mucho más temprano que tarde, de nuevo, abrirán las grandes alamedas por donde pase el hombre libre para construir una sociedad mejor. ¡Viva Chile! ¡Viva el pueblo! ¡Vivan los trabajadores! Estas fueron mis últimas palabras. Tengo la certeza de que mi sacrificio no se les pasó. Tengo la certeza de que por lo menos será una lección moral que castigará la felonía, la cobardía y la traición. Yes, uh, the correspondence that in the immediate aftermath of uh, the coup and coming to power of Augusto Pinochet, a death squad was formed of the Chilean army known as Caravan of Death, which operated Puma helicopters and went from prison to prison, carrying out the execution of little less than 100 Chilean leftists between the coup and October 22nd. Execution of members of this caravan include Manuel Contreras, a School of the Americas trained CIA agent that became the head of the National Intelligence Directorate of Chile, and Sergio uh, Lorano Stark, who was also an aide of the former president of Chile, preceding Nelande Talva. Victims were murdered by gunshots, stabbing, dismemberments, and light deaths being tossed out from the helicopter, either over the ocean and these mountains or at the common desert. General Lagos explained why they didn't return prisoners by to their families and, say, and saying, I was ashamed to see them. They were torn into pieces, so I wanted to put them together at least to leave them in human form. Yes, their eyes were gorged out with knives, their jaws broken, their legs broken. At the end, they gave them the coup de grace. They were merciless. The prisoners were killed so they would die slowly. In other words, sometimes they shot them in, the, in parts, first the legs, then the sexual organs, then the heart. In that order, the machine guns were fired. Few involved were ever indicted for this. Pinochet cheated accountability with his death in 2004, and the United States never apologized for being involved. All right, and with that, we'll stop for our second round of questions and comments. Uh, Comrade General Secretary Angelo from New York, you have the floor. Yes, I, I urge everyone here to get a hold of the movie called Missing, M-I-S-S-I-N-G, SpaceX. Uh, it's with um, SpaceX and... Uh, 
forgot the name of the other guy. Uh, big Hollywood actor. Very good. It's what happened in Chile. Victor Hara was the like Elvis Presley of Chile. He was sent to the stadium. So were others where they were shot and killed. That movie, Missing, get a hold of it. I urge you to do that and listen to it. There's a part of that movie where the American ambassador is looking out the window and um, is telling this father, this American there who's looking for his son, who was taken by the fascists. And the American ambassador looks out the window and says, and they're cutting the grass of the lawn and everything, and the water is cut, you know. And he says, we did this to preserve our way of life. That stated me, that one sentence in that movie. He's justified the murders and the killings and the gougings because they wanted to preserve their way of life. What he meant is capitalism. 90 seconds. And uh, I just wanted you to, to mention that. And uh, Comrade is correct. It was a very traumatic experience for many of us. It happened at the same time that we were fighting the American imperialism in Vietnam. Remember, Vietnam ended in 75. This was 73. It was the same period. We won in Vietnam, but we lost in Chile. Thank you. Thank you, comrade. And just real quick, I wanted to add a little bit of information about the flight deaths, um, and it'll be expanded upon in the next section. But there are still a lot of Pinochetists or supporters out there, uh, people that are anti-communists, that are fascists, that uh, refer back to a praise of, of Pinochet. And a lot of what they use, it's commonly on social media posts or even on T-shirts, is these things that say, you know, anti-communist action, and it has the helicopter with somebody being pushed out of it. And there was even a shirt that was on Amazon that had to be removed because it said something about uh, why not take a flight, and it had that that uh, way of, of uh, showing the flight death on it. And so that's commonly something that you'll hear when you hear people talking about using helicopters against communists. So it's still something used by anti-communists, and I just wanted to include that in there. Incredible hearing Allende's speech. He said, we've planted the seed the generations will remember and follow. And unfortunately, at the end of the Cold War, because Pinochet's government was propped up by the United States because of this so-called Soviet threat. And now what the United States is doing to still maintain the control is to run these fake left groups. So you have that government in Chile now, but it's still aligned with the United States. But the presentation is really good. And I think I want to ask Comrade Cameron and others if they've seen the documentary called The Battle for Chile. It was made in the 70s. It's got three parts because what I think we should do and this is something which I would send already prepared, and we would just upload, would be to upload those three-part documentary. It's in Spanish, but it has English subtitles uh, to the People's School social media. And even though it is available in other areas, just for us to have it on our channel would show a connection. All right. Thank you, comrade. We can possibly look into that. Uh, Jack Lemon with the guy in the movie Missing, the actor. Correct. Yes, correct. Thank you. Jack Lemon. Oh, yeah. And did you see that an interesting movie about Chile? It, uh, no, it's about like the uh, this guy who's an ad campaign 
admin and like run the campaign to like uh, the referendum to uh, end Pinochet's reign. That was pretty funny and interesting. All right. Thank you, comrade. So back in uh, 1970, uh, Henry Kissinger uh, was quoted by saying, I don't see why we need to stand by and watch a country go communist due to the irresponsibility of its people. The issues are much too important for the Chilean voters to be left to decide for themselves. I just, uh, you know, uh, the country that loves to export democracy, you know, and uh, these are their words. Right. Thank you, comrade. Uh, yeah, I just want to bring... Uh, bring this forward. When the Germans lost World War II, the Nazis lost World War II, a lot of them were exported into South America and on the dime of this before the CIA, but they became part under the CIA. And a lot of those Nazis went into Chile and pretty much um, cooperated and infiltrated Chile, the Chilean government, the Chilean military, and a lot of those AFL's CIA sponsored uh, unions and work through that and we have to remember that as this ukraine issue will come to an end and what will happen to those nazis what will happen to those despicable uh, fascists that are there they will they will go other places and they will do the same thing that's all thank you comrade yeah, this is a bit moot now, but I just want to make sure it's at least on some record that I don't believe it's in my good heart that uh, Allende would kill himself because if the fascists are going to kill you anyway or or torture your face with a with a flame like they did to the co-founding member of the Communist Party, um, wouldn't you, you know, go out kind of defending yourself? So I just I find it hard that he he took his own life. I'd like to think that as they burst through the door, you know, he defended himself and then they shot back. But anyways, thank you. Thank you, comrade. And just to comment on that. Yeah, it is. There is a little bit of a di dispute about whether or not he actually killed himself with the AK-47, which, remember, is also a fully automatic weapon. So if we were to do that, were there shots that were fired afterwards? But there uh, I I think a comrade had told me something about. Uh, when it comes to uh, Comrade uh, Allende's death and the the dispute about whether it was Fidel Castro's assault rifle or not. Do you want to comment on that, Comrade? Well, okay, there was a case opened by Chile government in 2011, you know, an autopsy, and uh, they concluded that it was a suicide. But, you know, let, let's look at it this way. Regardless, you know, uh, if you don't want them to take your life, right? So the ideal is to take a few with you before you go, right? But if not, suicide is acceptable too. But anyhow, there's one thing though. His uh, bodyguards called the GAP, you know, Grupo of um, of Amigos Personales, group of personal friends that was his bodyguards. And they were Cuban trained, Cuban intelligence as well, okay? And they told him, right, uh, I think like around nine o'clock or so, they told him, look, this is what we could do. We leave the, the La Moneda, the palace, you know, we leave and we go to the suburbs uh, that are pro-Allende, uh, where the workers are big time pro-Allende, big time, right? And we start a, 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 a guerrilla war type, you know, to fight those fascists, right? And uh, Allende, no, he, he wouldn't do it. We know that's a mistake right there, but it is what it is. It happened, you know, we cannot uh, rewrite history. But the whole thing is, Allende was too much 
in uh, in admiration for the constitution, so-called constitution, he thought, oh, they wouldn't be legal to do this, you know. So that's really the mistake he did to begin with, period. And one more thing, his daughter Beatrice, I mentioned in earlier, okay, she went into the La Moneda at the time, right? She was seven months pregnant and she told him to fight. She wanted to fight with him. And uh, he said, no, you gotta get, you gotta leave. You're gonna get killed like this and you have a baby and all that. But uh, she wanted to fight. She was willing to do the thing we just said, you know, to go start a guerrilla war. Yeah, that's it. You know, even before uh, fascism was on the scene, we can remember back in the Russian Revolution, uh, the Bolshevik Revolution, there was the Kornilov affair. And Kornilov was a military commander. And a lot of the uh, uh, bourgeois were starting to kind of unite behind him uh, to defeat uh, the Bolsheviks. That's one of the things that caused them to understand that they would have to have a violent revolution rather than just a peaceful one. Um, I feel like at the point where Allende understands that there are people working in his military against him, what he should have done is realize that he might have to go towards violence as a solution. But unfortunately, a lot like you know some civil rights leaders in the United States at the time, he was too enamored with the idea of nonviolence. Uh, was kind of pacifist in a way, not and not being able to defend himself, but he didn't want to go on the offensive. And because of that, Chile fell to the fascists. But I wanted to add that in there. I mean, in relation to what Henry Kissinger said, if you really want the most poignant way of putting it in terms of the United States and how it feels about democracy in reality, especially in other countries, to quote Lyndon B. Johnson, who said to the Greek ambassador who was protesting U.S. imperialism in his country, LBJ said, and I quote, Fuck your constitution and your parliament. All right. Thank you, comrade. And then comrade general secretary, and then we'll go to the next section. What happened in Chile <clears throat> has been used by many, many historians as an example that you cannot win through elections. Socialism will never be set up through elections. I'm not telling you that. History has shown us that. Those historians are correct. We'll give this analysis. That only through social revolution has socialism been set up. And that's what's one of the uh, eight points of unity, by the way, of the, of the Party of Communists USA. That historically, only through revolution has socialism been set up. And it makes sense. Because those who own the means of production, those who own the radio stations, and everything else, I'm not going to give that up because there's an election. They're not going to allow a socialist to come in who's elected peaceably. They're going to fight to keep their possessions. And that's what they did. So this is another good example. It will never happen through the ballot box. That's naive. That's not real life because they're going to use every means necessary to continue to control society the capitalist. So it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate that Gus Hall said it correctly. We're not starting the violence. This is self-defense. We won the election, and now we're going to defend that win. And that's not violence. That's self-defense. And that's what happened in Chile. 
He did not arm the workers with the guns. That was a mistake. They should have all have been armed. They themselves would have fought the fascist coup parties. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. So something to remember. You remember Che Guevara insurgency in Bolivia, 67, right? Okay. He gets killed. They get surrounded. And most of them die, except for five of them. And those five they, who survived in the mountains, they hiked to Chile from Bolivia. It's not too far, northern Chile, you know. And there they asked for asylum. Now, Allende was president of the Senate. So he interviewed them and he gave him asylum, no problem. And he got him back to Cuba. So one of them came back and became his bodyguard and formed that group of, uh, and he was in a Cuban, you know, and he formed this group of, of bodyguards named the Gap. And the Gap fought on that day, September 11th, big time. M many of them died and later they, they fought, uh, you know, in, in guerrilla war stuff, you know. But another thing, he had two daughters, Beatrice Isabel. Beatrice, she was hardcore. She was married to a Cuban. She was very close to the Gap people, right? And on September 11th, she went to La Moneda and she uh, wanted to fight with her father. She was seven months pregnant and she was a surgeon too. Okay? And uh, after a couple of hours, uh, Allende said, no, you got to get out of here. You know, you're pregnant, you're a woman, you cannot die here. And she obeyed, right? She ended up in Cuba. And you know what? Very sad. She committed suicide like her father did in Cuba in 77. And that's also because this dude, uh, L'Atelier, right, who was uh, Allende's close friend, was murdered in Washington, D.C. She got real depressed. She killed herself. But the other sister, she's alive. She was a deputy a senator in, in, uh, in uh, Chile right now. Her name is Isabel. Okay? She's alive and she's a politician. Okay? That's all. All right. Thank you, comrade. Yeah, what's unique about um, Chile in particular and this coup um, is actually how um, the Pinochet regime acted after, um, at least in terms of economics. Um, typically during the Cold War, um, you had the rise of like military strongmen. So in Guatemala, with the overthrow of Arbenz, you had the rise of a military dictatorship there. You had Park Chung-hee and Sigmund Rhee in South Korea, um, and you had other um various military dictators around the world um, to fight against communists. Now, the way that these regimes would stay in power is that they would basically do kind of um, the, these right-wing Bonapartist regimes. Um, they would basically um, give out like the kind of give out the goods to like the middle class and the petty bourgeoisie. So that way they could maintain like a social basis of support for the regime. And that way they could maintain, um, you know, themselves while fighting communists um, what happened in Chile um, is very interesting because um, in Chile, you had Milton Friedman and the Chicago's boys. They all went in there and they basically privatized everything. Um, they implemented actual existing libertarians, comrades, and it was completely disastrous. Um, you know, there's children alive who um, grew up to who um, I think there's like 40,000 Chileans who have permanent disabilities who are adults today because they didn't get enough food. Um, during the Pinochet regime, because the Pinochet regime cut all the food subsidies to low-income low children, and they have permanent disabilities. Some of them can't walk, some of them can't talk, um, some of them can't, you know, perform basic functions. And this is because of the austerity that was implemented by Milton Friedman and his gang. It got so bad 
to the point that um, this economic policy actually started to undermine Pinochet, um, that Pinochet actually kicked Milton Friedman out and he had to kick the Chicago school out of Chile and he had to renationalize um, the copper industry and some other basic in industries just to keep the Chilean economy afloat. So that's where the quote unquote Chilean economic miracle comes from, comrades. It comes from the renationalization of certain industries under Pinochet in order to just save the economy. Because if Pinochet kept Milton Friedman and the libertarian economics in there, there would have probably been a communist revolution and he would have been overthrown. Right. Thank you for that, comrade. I think this just speaks volumes as to what liberals will support over socialism because it might have been Kissinger and the CIA that got Pinochet in power. But today, if you look at the people, the only people anywhere in the world, basically, who are defending that regime, it's English-speaking liberals and centrists and just... a. I just wanted to say that. Thank you, comrade. And I wanted to add, I think I forget which section, which discussion period I added this in on Tuesday. But before I forget, um, there are still people out there, uh, whether they be liberals or fascists, that support Pinochet. And you'll see it sometimes. There's a picture that gets used on social media a lot that's like anti-communist action, has the helicopter and the person being thrown out of it. Uh, that's obviously alluding to the flight deaths not only in Chile, also in Argentina, but that's a pretty uh, clear anti-communist uh, symbol. There's there's also T-shirts that have the same thing on it and, you know, have some sort of sarcastic thing like want to take a flight or something um, and have somebody being thrown out of a helicopter. Um, so there are people that, you know, still uh, support Pinochet, if not just for being vehement anti-communists. So I wanted to add that in there. Um, we've got a few minutes uh, before we need to go to the last section. So if there's any questions or comments that comrades have before we do that, you can go ahead and throw your hand up. Uh, hi. Yeah, I think I kind of got the answer to the question, but I just wanted to make sure that I don't have the wrong idea. When, when you say the Chilean experiment, I'm assuming that means the Chilean experiment in communism or the, or that's just my question. Thank you. The Chilean experiment refers to um, the policies of Milton Friedman and like the free market privatizations that occurred early during the Pinochet regime. Um, the Chilean economic miracle refers to the period where they renationalized all of the stuff and have to save the economy from these insane policies. Okay, thank you. Thank you, comrades. So we'll go ahead and go to the last section. Okay, so Pinochet of Chile and Operation Condor. So the repression under Augusto Pinochet, and uh, some of the numbers are very contested under the um, Chilean, you know, the numbers were not properly reported, as we'd expect. The Pinochet government um, kind of covered up a lot of what they did, so it's hard finding good numbers, but under Augusto Pinochet's 17-year reign, thousands of Chilean communists and other left oppositionists were killed, thousands more, um, and thousands more disappeared. 
The numbers are still contested due to the unreliability of the data recorded by the regime. Uh, 200,000 Chileans were estimated to have been forcibly exiled, meaning expelled from the country, and hundreds of thousands more left due to the economic collapse that followed the coup. The Pinochet dictatorship created concentration camps, the most famous being the National Stadium in Santiago, which imprisoned and tortured 40,000 communists and other leftists and murdered thousands more. And on the right, you could see a picture of, it, of all the prisoners in the stadium. Uh, Dirección de Inteligencia Nacional Dina. This was basically the Chilean version of the Gestapo. And I, I'm not the one that coined this. This is uh, just a nickname given by historians. It was established in November of 1973, so two months after the coup, um, involved in the arrest and torture of left opposition voices. Uh, decree number 521 allowed Dina to round up anyone under the pretext of national emergency. Um, and they essentially threw them in the uh, concentration camps. Um, and they also work to censor any pro-Allende popular unity party media and transmissions. The economics of uh, Chile, it was um, basically exported. Uh, Richard Nixon uh, tasked Milton Friedman, uh, a libertarian economist, with uh, providing the economic uh, ideology. So, uh, um, Trained at the University of Chicago under Milton Friedman, as I said, the Chilean economist dubbed the Chicago Boys applied neoliberal policies which set to reverse the nationalization efforts under Allende and privatize most aspects of Chilean society. Under Pinochet, the healthcare system, the pension system, and nat natural resources, aside from the copper, um, were privatized, a reversal from the nationalization under Allende. American-based multinational corporations such as Dow Chemical and Firestone, the tire company, regained control over the Chilean economy. The economic reforms under Pinochet resulted in the economic crisis of 1982. And in here you can uh, see Pinochet is a guy second from the left. Well, I guess third. And uh, here's a little video. This is from uh, Telesor. It kind of outlines what happened due to this uh, economic uh, liberalization. Otros temas que tienen que ver con Chile. Mientras la información actual de Chile indica que la moneda, el Palacio Presidencial, se alista para enfrentar resultados electorales de la alianza, que el gobierno de Sebastián Piñera mandó a los ministros sectoriales para acompañar a la candidata Evelyn Matei el domingo y que se evalúa la presencia de titulares políticos, la información histórica de Chile nos va a llevar a conocer cómo se convirtió el país en uno de los que tiene mayor desigualdad social. Medidas de Pinochet. En 1973, tras el golpe militar contra el presidente Salvador Allende, se instauró un sistema económico neoliberal y capitalista, 
la dictadura de Augusto Pinochet introdujo una serie de reformas. Apoyándose en un grupo de economistas conocidos como los Chicago Boys, el régimen de Pinochet aplicó la doctrina del shock, que consistió en una mayor apertura de la economía y del comercio exterior, la reducción del gasto público en un 20%, el despido del 30% de los empleados públicos, el aumento de los impuestos y la privatización de la mayor parte de las empresas estatales. Los indicadores no mejoraron, todo lo contrario. En 1982, la riqueza estaba concentrada en una minoría privilegiada y la economía registró hiperinflación, crisis de deuda y un desempleo cercano al 30%. Otro de los resultados, actualmente Chile es uno de los países con mayor desigualdad social en el mundo. Sí, voy a votar. ¿Voy a votar? No voy a votar. No. Sí. Honestamente, como colectivo, no esperamos absolutamente nada. Sí, voy a votar. Hay muchas cosas que analizar todavía. Operation Condor, training the fascist death squads. In 1946, the U.S. Army founded the Latin American Training Center located in the Panama Canal Zone. Its purpose was to train Latin American military personnel to use American-made weapons. After the 1959 Cuban Revolution, Kennedy ordered the center to focus on teaching anti-communist counterinsurgency tactics to Latin Americans. In 1963, the center was renamed the School of the Americas. Part of the training was learning torture techniques based on practical experiences gained in the Vietnam and Algerian wars. It is estimated that 60,000 graduates put their newly acquired skills in practice in their home countries as death squads, operatives, and assassins. In the 60s and 70s, plans were discussed at the School of the Americas about coordinating the internal security forces among Latin American countries in order to deal with the perceived, quote, Marxist subversion, end quote. And just over on the side, I, I included the logo of the School of the Americas. Uh, one of the things that's just really noticeable right off is the fact that the Santa Maria, Christopher Columbus's ship, was the central icon used in that. So it's almost a reversal of the Monroe Doctrine, which was trying to keep Europe out of Latin America, where they're hearkening back to that when they're training these fascist death squads. So I just thought that was interesting. All right. Operation Condor. In early 1974, a few months after the September 11th coup in Chile, security officials from Argentina, Paraguay, Uruguay, Chile, and Bolivia met in Buenos Aires to plan coordinated actions. On November 25th, 1975, on the day of Pinochet's 60th birthday, the military intelligence of the five countries met in Santiago and officially created Plan Condor. Four months later, a military junta led by General uh, Videla overthrew the government of Isabel Perón in Argentina, even though Isabel had let anti-communist death squads operate freely and established a fascist dictatorship that lasted seven years. Operation Condor in Argentina was implemented in the so-called Dirty War and resulted in the murder and disappearance of at least 30,000 people, one often after brutal torture. During the Operation Condor, death flights, in quote, were put into practice in Argentina and Chile. Prisoners were thrown off helicopters or planes into the frigid waters of the South Atlantic or the South Pacific, also on top of high Andes peaks. 
Argentinian officers had learned this procedure from their French counterparts during the Algerian War from 1954 to 1962. The first use of, quote, death flights, end quote, was Marcel Bigarad, called Bruno, a former paratroop commander taken prisoner by the Viet Minh at the Battle of Dien Bien Phu in 1954. Sent to Algeria in 1956 after his release, he invented the death flights over the Mediterranean. It was Bigard's superior, General Asuresas, who advised Pinochet and Valdela on the use of torture, counterinsurgency warfare, and death flights, in quotes, during Operation Condor after he moved to Brazil in 1973. The primary target of Operation Condor were communist guerrillas and sympathizers, but also included students, trade unionists, journalists, artists, just about any citizen suspected of being left-wing. The front troop of Condor were the Chilean DINA, D-I-N-A, and its Argentinian counterpart S-I-D-E, or CIDE. In Chile, it is estimated that Condor was responsible for the murder and disappearance of 10,000 people. But Condor did not stop at the borders of Chile, Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, and Bolivia. Opponents were targeted in France, Italy, Portugal, Mexico, and the United States. Orlando Letile was a diplomat, economist, member of the Socialist Party, and foreign minister under Allende's presidency. He was imprisoned after the September 11th and tortured by the regime. Released after intense international diplomatic pressure, Letlier took refuge in Venezuela. In 1975, Letlier moved to the U.S. where he was offered a position at the American University of Washington, D.C. He wrote articles about condemning the Chicago Boys' free market economic policies being promoted by Pinochet under the fascist dictatorship. That's when the long arm of the Chilean secret police, Dina, reached out to him and assassinated him on September 21st, 1976, together with his American co-workers in a car bomb terror attack. General Augusto Pinochet, who left the presidency in 1990, was arrested in London in 1998 under genocide and terror charges, but later released and was never brought to trial for the murders, despite evidence implicating him and having ordered them. Pinochet died of a heart attack at the age of 91 while at home in Santiago under house arrest. 1980 Constitution. On September 11th, 1980, seven years anniversary of the coup d'etat, a referendum was held to replace the 1925 Constitution. The new Constitution gave more power to the executive branch and the president and allowed Pinochet to remain in power for longer. The new constitution had provisions restricting political parties similar to those outlined in the Smith Act. Quote, parties, movements, or other forms of organizations whose objectives, actions, or conduct do not respect the basic principles of democratic and constitutional rule, who seek to establish a totalitarian system, as well as those who use violence, advocate, or incite it as a method of political action, are unconstitutional. It will correspond to the constitutional court to declare this unconstitutionality, end quote. The Constitution restricted trade unions from intervening in partisan political activities, in quotes, on top of being more restrictive, though the constitutional referendum had a majority vote of yes, 
The methods used for the referendum were criticized of being full of irregularities and anti-democratic. All right. And with that, we'll go ahead and have our final round of questions and comments, and then we'll wrap up. Um, yeah, I guess because, I mean, I understand that we're never going to get an actual socialist revolution through the ballot box. I totally agree with that. But is what would be the Marxist method to continue a socialist revolution through the ballot box? And because I think I've heard arm workers. Um, what other things could be done to shore that up and maybe turn the election into a social revolution? Thank you. Okay, the whole idea is the state. Like, remember the book of, of Lenin, The State and Revolution, right? Okay, he's talking about, we cannot use a bourgeois state as it is for our purposes. We got to build our own state. And when he means state, it's not just a post office and stuff like that. Okay? It is military and police, bottom line. So if Allende had built a police, a worker's police, if he had built a worker's military, he would be here today. Maybe not a president, but he'll be somewhere, you know. So that's what I mean. It's it's all about, like, if you win the election, great, right? But as soon as you do, you have to do like Hugo Chavez, like Rafael Ortega, you know, like that. That's a good example. They're not going to be overthrown by who? All right. Thank you for that, comrade. Uh, yeah, I just uh, I wanted to say that... Um... I, I read through the um, Chilean uh, constitution, and if you read it, it sounds like, it, you know, and uh, you didn't understand the context, it would sound like it was a, a liberal constitution. However, uh, you notice that in it, they said uh, um, they banned parties that advocate the unconstitutional overthrow of the government. I mean, Pinochet, that's exactly what he did. And now he creates this uh, constitution that now says that you can't overthrow an un unconstitutional government. You know, that doesn't make any sense. So I, I just wanted to um, uh, leave people with that, that reading it, it sounds like, uh, you know, a standard liberal constitution, but given the context, and especially after... Uh, basically all the elimination of leftism and uh, communism in Chile, all you were really left with were the right, uh, the right uh, loyalists. Right. Thank you, comrade. Uh, comrade General Secretary Angelo, you have the floor. Now, I could be corrected on this. Within the last year, I'm pretty sure about this, there was an attempt to get rid of the Pinochet Constitution and to set up another constitution, a more bourgeois, so-called, quote, normal bourgeois constitution. I don't know if that succeeded. It may have failed. I don't remember. If anybody here remembers what happened with that attempt. But it was big news. It was big news all over the United States and in Chile. Number two, remember where they went when they fled for their lives, the leader of the communists and the communist movement in Chile. You know where they went? To East Germany. East Germany, the German Democratic Republic, gave them refuge. And Kovalon and Isabel Allende uh, and others stayed there and lived their lives. Luis Kovalon, the general secretary, died in the German Democrat. He stayed there. 
Um, so it's important that we know that <clears throat> that only a communist country gave them refuge. Nobody else. Uh, I think that's important. 90 seconds. So those two things I wanted to point out that there was an attempt and I don't know what happened with that attempt uh, to to get rid of the uh, Pinochet constitution. Oh, and the third thing, the Communist Party of Chile today is a different party than it was in the 1970s. It's a very, very social democratic oriented party, unfortunately. The Two party, and like many communist parties, has happened since 91. Mm -hmm. So you should know that. They supported uh, the last, the present leader of Chile, his name starts with a B, Borac or Boric or something like that. The Communist Party supported him, and he is a neoliberal follower of neoliberal economics. So there you see the great party of um, the great Communist Party of Luis Cabalón is now a social democratic, and that's why a new party was formed, the Communist Party of Chile um, Proletarian Action. And that's the one that we work with. Thank you. Thank you. And just really briefly to add on to uh, the East Germany, uh, in terms of other socialist states and how they reacted, of course, Cuba, sworn enemy of Chile. Uh, they worked with Allende. Fidel Castro was a close friend. So they were they were at odds from the start. Uh, the Soviet Union actually cut off diplomatic relations with Chile uh, right after the coup and didn't restore them until... Uh, after the Pinochet regime was over. And they actually boycotted the World Cup in 1974 in Chile because it was going to be in the same stadium that they had just assassinated communists in. Um, interestingly, uh, China did not cut off relations with Chile during the entire time of the Pinochet regime um, and actually traded with him. So that's one of the mistakes that uh, was made in China. They actually uh, supported Pinochet. The Chinese Communist Party supported Pinochet. Uh, that should be known. I think it was the party of Dao Xiaoping when he was in power. If I'm incorrect, please correct me. But I believe it was under Dao Xiaoping. They supported Pinochet. Thank you. All right. Thank you, comrade. Uh, Chen Xiaoping was 78. Okay. Thank you. All right. And then really uh, briefly... Yeah, forgive me if this question is a bit vague, and maybe General Secretary Angelo, you know a little bit more, so you're welcome to answer first, but were there any ideological or any real differences uh, in terms of a di dictatorship between Pinochet and Adolf Hitler, apart from uniforms and logos, or is a dictatorship a bit dictatorship? Did, like... The Nazis uh, openly admitted who their enemies were, and I assume Pinochet just wanted to kill communists. Can you clarify if there's any uh, ideological difference between Nazi Germany dictatorship and Pinochet? Well, I'm not going to go into that because I really don't know that much, but I'll just tell you one thing. It's interesting that one of the big generals in Chile had a German name. Schneider, I think his name was, maybe... Uh, Comrade could remember the name. You remember who it was? Yeah, Schneider was a good one, comrade, though. All right, he was a good one. Okay. But yeah. the points to the influence of Germans within Chile, as someone mentioned earlier, 
after World War II, they went to Argentina, Chile, a lot of countries in Latin America. And that's why that name pops up, because his he was a he came from Germany, his parents. And he happened to be, as as Conrad said, he was one of the good generals. But that's all I wanted to mention about that. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to um, answer what uh, Comrade General Secretary was saying. Um, so, um, yeah, last year, about this time, uh, Chile tried to um, pass a new constitution to uh, um, get rid of the old 1981. It was uh, voted down 60 to 40 percent because it was considered too far left and divisive. All right. Thank you for that, comrade. Well, my little answer here would be that, uh, you know, Pinochet's thing was like uh, fascism with Chilean characteristics, you know, kind of like uh, the Ukro-Nazism and, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Right. So that's. You know, they're all the same, except, you know, they adapt to their local uh, customs, geography and history and stuff. Um, first, just one thing I'd like to say to what differentiates Pinochet's fascism, or for that matter, even the modern Ukro-Nazis from um, Germany, Japan, or Italy, but what I'll admit makes them still very similar to a lot of the puppet states that those countries had in France and northern China and the so-called empire of Vietnam is. In Chile and in Ukraine, while they talk a lot about the superiority and glory of their race and culture and tradition, Economically, they are very, very, or in the case of Chile, were foreign-influenced, which Germany, they had British and American capital, but they weren't submissive to it. And also with Chile, one thing that I don't think we've brought up in this class yet, but that I think is important to remember when talking about Pinochet and the coup is Margaret Thatcher, and multiple people in her administration were personal friends with him and even wrote him letters when he was in prison. So while the CIA played a big role in getting him into power, the rest of NATO was entirely complicit in it and even supportive. All right. Thank you, comrade. Yeah. To add, give addition to what was saying, as we've see now in our modern times what what would we define as fascism and i heard ukraine and one of the reasons i understand that we define ukraine government as fascist is that they have outlawed trade unions and other political parties and in the case of chile definitely we know all the socialists and communists were killed right away and then hunted down their families and everything and there was the military dictatorship the whole time. If there was to be a racist element, ironically, it also leads, because all things seem to do, to Hitler, because the Chilean military, and comrades can look this up, it's called like the Latin American Prussian military. They wear the little pointy pike helmets. It's like a German army, and they still use that dress. All right. Thank you, comrade. I'm sorry. I 
found this really, really interesting. I was watching a um, article, an interview with uh, Alex, Alex Dorfman. I think he was a cultural advisor to uh, Allende's uh, regime. He recently wrote a novel. It's a fictionalized account, but it ties in the uh, coup of uh, Allende with climate change. Uh, it's called Suicide Museum, just in case anybody wanted to check that out. All right. Thank you, comrade. Yes, I'd like to have, you know, best a little, a little phrase to uh, when people talk about the lot of people, you know, may not be that sophisticated. They read a lot about uh, the harshness of uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, moves that Stalin, the great Stalin and uh, the revolution uh, under Fidel uh, made. And uh, when you compare Fidel and Stalin with Allende, uh, you know, the best phrase I could think about that is a phrase that uh, a 1950s manager of the baseball giants, Leo DeRocha, said, nice guys finish last. And that's why the, Cuba is still a strong communist country today. Uh, and that's why uh, uh, the Soviet Union was a great mighty power under Stalin. Uh, and that's what, why Allende as it was said, they should have used he should have used force first and smashed the uh, uh, the the proposed coup, and he would nothing would have happened. Thank you, comrade. And and yeah, I think you know one thing that's interesting to me is when nine eleven comes around every year. Besides, you know, us having to relive. Uh, September 11, 2001, when 9-11-73 is brought up, you tend to have a lot of these liberal progressives that fall in behind Allende, because Allende is kind of similar to somebody like Bernie Sanders in terms of policy. But of course, you won't see these kind of progressives uphold Fidel Castro or Stalin or Lenin. Um, so you can see, you know, it's, it's very evident um, how, uh, 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 what's the word for it? Um, I mean, I guess how polite um, in terms of uh, his policy Allende was compared to those. And I think that you're right, comrade. And I want to thank you all for your different uh, questions and comments on this tonight. I'm really glad that we had this class. 50th anniversary is a golden anniversary, um, so we couldn't have missed it. Um, and like I said at the beginning of the class, you know, today is or yesterday is also the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Um, if you're interested in, you know, what we said on that, we actually did a class last year on the truth about the Soviet-Afghan war that you can check out um, that mentions at the end of it a little bit of what happened uh, prior to that event, if you're interested in that. Thank you for watching this full-length class from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. For more information or to join our free classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube, listen to our streams on Spotify, and chat with us on Reddit.